Um, If you've got a Bible on you, please turn to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 16 together. Before I do that, let me just say this. If you're here watching online or you're here in person and you're from Newcastle in the northeast and you've taken the news about local lockdown pretty badly. I imagine that's quite a few of us here raising feelings of isolation and loneliness and anxiety and all kinds of things. Please get in touch with us. We would love to support you and pray with you in any way that we can. You're not alone in this. We're church family together. So please do get in touch if you need any support. So Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read verses 1 to 16 together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When he went out at about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again at about noon and then again at three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock he went out and found others standing round and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those who were hired at five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they also thought that they would receive more, but each of them too received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last only worked for one hour, and yet you've made them equal to us who've been working all day, bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to choose to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So today we're looking at this incredible parable from Matthew chapter 20. And I've loved going through these last few chapters of Matthew's gospel over the past few weeks. Now, before we work through the verses of the parable, we first need to look at why Jesus tells this parable. So for those of you with Bibles open in front of you or on on your tablets or smartphones or however it is that you're looking at the passage today, flick back a page to Matthew chapter 19. If you go back to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says in verse 30, the last verse of Matthew 19, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now, Jesus says this in response to Peter, who, of course, was one of the first people to start following Jesus. And Peter has said to Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What are you going to give to us? What is there going to be for us? In other words, Jesus, um, Peter is saying to Jesus, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Surely we're going to get a huge 
reward. We're going to get more than anybody else, Jesus, because we've been following you for longest. And deep down, I bet that Peter was thinking, surely, surely Jesus is going to give me the most because I'm Jesus's favorite disciple. If he doesn't give me the most, he better give me at least as much as he gives to James and John because we're like the inner three. Jesus, I hope you're going to give me more than anyone. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably, in our hearts, ask this same question of Jesus all of the time. I've been serving the church for ages. Surely I deserve a more honored position at the church. Or I know that lots of people serve the church, but my job, the thing that I turn up to do on a Sunday or midweek, that's the most important thing. Surely I'm going to get the biggest reward from Jesus. Or perhaps we think our position in our family is the most important. We're the, we're the person that holds the whole family together, and so surely we're going to get the biggest reward. Or we think about this in terms of our friendship groups or whoever. Now, the problem is, with Peter's question, that Jesus' message to his followers all the way through the gospel is that the driving force of the kingdom of God is grace and not merit. The kingdom of God works on grace. This is what the whole of the Bible teaches. Think about what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. For it is grace that you have been saved by faith, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now that is the heart of the gospel. We've been saved by grace, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. So let's have a look at this fantastic parable together. We're going to work through it verse by verse and see what it means for us today. Now, there's basically three scenes in this parable. Firstly, the workers get hired. Secondly, the workers get paid. And then thirdly, some of the workers grumble. So verse one. In verse one, we're introduced to a landowner who owns a huge vineyard. Now, I don't know much about vineyards, if I'm honest. I've been on a few vineyard tours. I don't know much about them other than they do produce sometimes a good glass of Malbec or Pinot Grigio or whatever it is that you're into. But I do know that looking after a vineyard is difficult work. And it would have been much more difficult in first century Israel in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. There was no machines and harvesting had to take place by hand. And when a vineyard was ready for harvest, particularly a large vineyard, there were acres and acres and acres of grapes that needed harvesting. And so you needed a huge workforce in order to get the grapes ready for the harvest. And so we have a landowner here who owns a huge vineyard and he needs a huge workforce to get things ready. And so he goes out at the first hour of the day, that's what we're told in these first verses, to hire some workers. Now the normal working day in first century Israel began at 6 a.m. You started work at 6 and you would work all the way through to sunset, usually about 6 p.m. So these people that are hired in verse 1 are going to work at least a 12-hour shift in the heat of the scorching sun, doing back-breaking manual labour. Now in verse 2, the landowner agrees with the workers that he'll pay them the usual daily wage. 
which is a denarius. Now, this is a very generous offer from the landowner. He doesn't have to pay this. Remember, this is before the idea of the minimum wage or the living wage. He could have paid for this manual labor just a pittance, but he agrees to pay them a denarius. It's a very generous offer, and the workers accept. Now, three hours later, the landowner sees that there's still loads more grapes that need picking. And so he goes back into the marketplace at 9 a.m. and he hires even more people. And he invites them to work in the vineyard and he says to them, I'll pay you whatever is right. There was no agreement, just the promise that they'd get paid whatever was right. In verse five, the landowner goes out again Jesus says at noon and at three o'clock because there's so much work to do. And seeing that there's more work to, to do, he hires even more people. And again, we're told by Jesus that they would be paid whatever is right. Now in verses six and seven, it's now 5 p.m. There is only one hour left of the working day. Surely the landowner isn't gonna hire even more people. You know, they're only going to have just got started before they're going to have to finish and before the sun sets and they can no longer work. But this landowner goes out at five o'clock, the last hour of the working day, and hires even more people to work in the vineyard. Now, how do you think the people who began work at 6 a.m. were feeling about this? I think that these people were probably feeling pretty smug with themselves. They were probably thinking, we've been working all day long. We're going to get a whole denarius for this day's work. These people are just turning up at five o'clock. They're only going to get pennies. But we've been working all day long. Why didn't they show up at work at six o'clock in the morning like us? Those silly, silly people. I think that some of them also felt, who are these people that just turn up at the last hour of the working day? We've been here working our guts, guts out all day in this vineyard, and these people just turn up at the very last bit, just to take the glory. You know the feeling, don't you, some of you? Like, you've, you've, after a dinner party, or you've had some people over for dinner or whatever, you've been doing all of the washing up, and then your housemate or your spouse just as the washing up is nearly finished, says to you, is there anything I can do? You know exactly, I heard a yes from somebody, I don't know who it was, Um, but you know exactly the feeling. This is how some of these early workers would have felt. And so we move to the next scene in Jesus's parable. The workers are going to be paid. So in verse eight, the vineyard owner says to his manager to gather all of the laborers and then begin to pay them. But unusually, start with the last. Those that turned up last are going to be paid first. And those that turned up first, they're going to be paid last. This is, seems to be completely the wrong way round. Now, those who turn up at six o'clock in the morning, by this point, are probably feeling pretty fed up. Not only have they been here the longest, but they're now going to have to wait in the queue in order to get their paycheck. This is outrageous, some of them would have been thinking. Who does this landowner think he is? Well, in verse 9, the story gets even stranger. Those who arrived at 5 p.m. and worked just one hour queue up for their paycheck, and they get paid the usual daily wage. 
They get paid a whole denarius just for one hour's work. That's like 13 times the generous offer that was made to those that got hired at six. Now, those listening to Jesus at this point would have been absolutely shocked. This is a shocking parable. The amount of generosity from this landowner here is unbelievable. This guy is so generous. But it's his money, it's his prerogative, and he can do whatever he likes with his resources. Now, those hearing this story would have thought to themselves, let me work for this guy. Let me work for this generous landowner. He's just so amazing. Now, verse 10. It's now time for those who got hired at six o'clock in the morning to be paid. And I bet they were thinking and talking among themselves, wow, if those who turned up at five o'clock got paid a whole denarius, perhaps we'll get 13 or 14 of them. Perhaps we'll get paid a whole month's wage. I bet some of them were talking among themselves and saying, you know that holiday to Lebanon just over the border that we've been planning, let's go. Or some of them would have said, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell the missus when we get home, that cruise down the Nile, we've always wanted to go to Egypt, again, just over the border, that cruise down the Nile we've been planning, we're going to be able to go, we're going to have the whole month off. Or some of them would have thought, we're going to go to the Red Sea Resort, again, just down the road, and we're going to have a, a nice week on the beach. They'd have been so excited about this. But when they get paid, they too get a denarius a very generous denarius, and it is what they agreed with the landowner before they even started work. Now we move into the third scene of the parable. The workers that are hired at 6 a.m. begin to complain. Look at verses 11 and 12. When they received their denarius, they began to grumble and complain about their pay. They began to say to one another, how have you treated us equal to those who only worked an hour? How dare you treat us like this? These are the thoughts that are going through their hearts and their heads. Verse 13, the landowner replies, I am doing you no wrong. I paid you fairly. Verse 14, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last the same as I've given to you. Now what is happening here with those that are grumbling and complaining is that the first set of workers are behaving as if everything that the landowner owns really belongs to them. They want to take his resources and use it for themselves, and they want to determine what belongs to them, what they think belongs to them. They think that they have a right to his resources and his money, when in fact it's his prerogative, as I've already said, for him to do what he wants. Now, we all behave like this. You know, if Lee was to give me um, a lock, send me a lockdown gift in the post, you know, because he knows I'm going to struggle over this local lockdown that's, that's going to happen. And so he decides to encourage me and he sends me a Pret-a-Manger voucher because they're doing this wonderful deal at the minute where you can, you know, pay a su- subscription for a certain amount of money a month and you get five free coffees a day. Now, Lee's feeling really generous. And to bless me, he sends me this in the post, you know, to encourage me in lockdown. And I'm so blessed. That is such a generous gift from Lee. But then Brogan texts me, and Brogan says, you'll never guess what. Lee has bought me and Beth, as like a lockdown gift, a voucher for a Michelin-starred restaurant in Newcastle. And we can have an eight-course tasting menu, a bottle of wine. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Now, suddenly, Lee's generous gift to me of the Pret-a-Manger voucher, I'm suddenly really resentful over. 
I'm thinking, how dare Lee give me a Pret-a-Manger voucher when he's bought Brogan and Beth the most amazing date going in the city? And suddenly I'm full of bitterness and I'm full of greed and I'm full of envy and I'm I'm just bitter. Now this is what is going on here with these early vineyard workers. Even though they've the landowner has been generous to them they can no longer see it because of their sin because of their bitterness because of their pride now look at verse 15 the landowner says am i not allowed to do what i choose with what belongs to me or are you envious because i'm generous the charge leveled against them is that they're complaining because they're jealous they're jealous Now these questions from the landowner reveal that the first workers are full of bitterness, entitlement, envy, and pride. And this is where the parable ends. So what does this mean for us as we sit here in Newcastle today or as we watch online from wherever in the world it is that we're watching? Well in verse 1, if you just look back earlier in Matthew 20, in verse 1 Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this landowner. So what do we learn about God? Well, firstly, we learn that God is sovereign. Like the landowner in this parable, everything in the whole universe belongs to God. He's king of everything. He's Lord of all. There are no limits to his rule and reign. And he can do what he wants with his resources, just as the landowner can in the parable. Now this truth about God being sovereign is such good news for us. In some Christian circles it can be controversial, but the Anglican theologian J.I. Packer said this, people treat God's sovereignty as a means of controversy, but in scripture it is a matter for worship. Why is it a matter for worship? Well, because it is such good news that God is in control and that we aren't. Can you imagine if I was running the universe? It would be a complete mess. Praise God that he is in control. Praise God that it's Jesus that holds all things together and not me. Think about what Paul writes. All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus. And in Jesus, all things hold together. That is such good news. Whenever we pray, what are we saying? We're saying that God is Lord, that he's in control and that I'm not. And that's why we ask for breakthrough in prayer. It's good news that it's Jesus who holds all things together. It's good news that God owns everything. Now, the second thing about God's sovereignty is this. Because God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants with his resources Now, fortunately for us, his people and his children, that means that he is totally free to pour out his grace and his generosity on us, even when we don't deserve it. He's completely free to pour out his generosity on whoever he chooses. And isn't that exactly what we see here in this Bible passage? God is full of generosity and grace beyond our wildest expectations beyond our wildest dreams. God's generosity knows no limits or no bounds, and it's been uniquely revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now again, just fast forward a few verses. We've been looking at verse one, go to verse 15. Am I not allowed 
to choose what I want to do with what belongs to me? The landowner asks. Now, of course, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus uses these all of the time in parables. And of course, the answer is yes. God can do whatever he wants with his resources. He can do whatever he wants. Now, what does this reveal when God is generous? It reveals this, that God's gifts, that God's grace, they're distributed not because they're earned, not because we somehow work for them, but because he is generous and full of grace. This parable is the gospel in microcosm. It's a little glimpse of the gospel. We have a sovereign God who chooses his people and pours out generosity and grace on them, not because they earn it, not because they deserve it. In fact, they deserve the opposite. We all deserve the opposite. But he pours it out because he is generous. You see, salvation, being saved by God, is not based on your performance on your work, on your intellect, on your looks, on your academic ability. It's not our initiative that saves us, but it's God's initiative that saves us. In Jesus, God came to me. God found me and rescued me. Left to my own devices, there would be no way that I'd be able to save myself. Never. But God found me. God chose me and rescued me. Now, I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve any blessings at all from him. And yet he pours it out on me anyway. One of the most mind-blowing thoughts I have, and I have this thought on an almost daily basis, and it is just the most incredible thing, is that when God the Father looks at me, he looks at me with the same love and adoration and affection as he does for his own son, Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that I am in Christ. I have been clothed with Christ. And so when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus because I'm in Jesus. Now that is a completely mind-blowing thought. We worship a generous God and this generosity is revealed in the person of Jesus. Now, what about the workers? Who do they represent? Well, the workers who turned up at five o'clock, they're all of us that have been saved by Jesus. We've all received God's radical generosity when we did nothing to earn it. That's you and me. But what about these workers who turned up at six o'clock in the morning and grumbled and complained. In what ways are we like this group? Well, firstly, these workers are full of envy. And if we're honest, we can be too. Again, the question that the landowner asked in verse 15, am I not allowed to do whatever I want with my resources or are you envious because I am generous? Now, what I want to say to us today is basically that these workers that turned up early are basically suffering from comparison. It's almost as if their whole identity has been rocked. It's almost as if their whole identity has been rocked by the fact that these people that turned up late have been given the same amount of mo as money as them. 
And if we're honest, this happens to us too all of the time, doesn't it? We often look at other people and think, if only I could look a little bit more like him, or if only I could look a little bit more like her. Or we look at other people and we say, why are these people so popular? Why is that person over there so popular and I have to work so hard at friendships? Or we look at somebody and think, I wish that I was as talented as that person. Or if only I had that person's marriage, or if only I, I had that person's house, or that person's life, or that person's car, or whatever it might be. Now, comparison is the thief of joy. If we're always comparing ourselves to others, we're never going to think that we have enough. We're never going to think that our life is good. And we're always going to be bitter towards the people that we're comparing ourselves to. That's what's going on here. Now, all of us struggle with this. The remedy is to take our eyes off the people that we're comparing ourselves to and fix our eyes on Jesus. And to accept what he says over us, that you're loved, forgiven, ransomed, adored, that you've been set free. He gets to determine our identity and nothing else. Now, secondly, these workers are full of entitlement. They think that what belongs to the landowner should actually belong to them. And how many of us are like that in our attitude towards God? We think that we're the sovereign ones and that he isn't. We behave as if the resources that he gives us are ours to keep and ours alone and for ours to hold onto. We think of our money as being our own our houses as being our own, our jobs as being our own, rather than, from gifts, rather than being gifts from God for us to give back to him and say, take our homes, take our money, do with it what you want. You know, we think like the workers in the parable, we've worked so hard for this money and so I'm going to keep it for myself. I've worked so hard for this mortgage and so I'm going to use this house however I want. I won't use it for hospitality or to grow the work of the kingdom or whatever it might be. These thoughts go through our minds all of the time. Now, one of the points of this parable is that we should recognize that everything belongs to God. Our calling, our marriages, our money, our friendship, it all belongs to him. The last verse of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine. Even that would be an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. In other words, even if we were to own everything in the universe and lay it at the feet of Jesus, even that offering wouldn't be enough. So who are we just to hold on to the stuff in our own lives and pretend like everything that really belongs to God is ours? Sometimes we operate from this sense of entitlement. Now thirdly, like the workers in the parable, we often get trapped in a religious mindset. Now remember, the Pharisees would have heard this parable, the religious leaders of the time. And Jesus is often debating the Pharisees. And one of the things that Jesus has against the Pharisees is that they're telling people that if they do A, B, or C, then they might get into heaven. It's all about the rules and the regulations. Now, they're important. But you cannot earn your way into God's generosity, into his grace, into the kingdom of heaven. Now, these workers that turned up early, they feel that the landowner owes them more money because of what they have done. 
This is not the way the kingdom of God operates. All religions teach that if you do A, B, or C, if your good outweighs your bad, then one day God might let you in. You might do enough to earn your place in heaven. That's how religion operates. But it's not how the gospel and Jesus operates. As I said last week, religion says do, Jesus says done. On the cross, he cries, it is finished. On the cross, he exchanges all of our sin and mess and imperfection for his righteousness and his glory. It's done. And there's nothing we did to earn it. It's a free gift. Now, just as Ellie and Will come and join me, this parable reminds me of another parable in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And I think that these vineyard workers that turned up at six o'clock in the morning are basically behaving like the older son in the parable. So if you know the story, there's a younger son who goes up, he takes his father's money and goes off and wastes it on all kinds of things, things that he shouldn't be engaging with, prostitution, all kinds of things. And one day he decides to return home and his father throws him the biggest party. In fact, his father runs to meet him. Now there's an older brother who sees this and is so bitter. And he's been at home this whole time. And the older brother says, all of these years, all of these years I've been slaving for you. What are you gonna give me? Look, religion is so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And it's not, it's, the world operates like this as well. If you do these things, then you'll get an identity that will be accepted. If you do this, this, and this, then you might, have a, you might end up with this life and this house and all of these kinds of things. But you're constantly having to strive and strive and strive. But in Jesus, we see that God has done everything possible for us to have a secure identity and for us to be saved. And he can do that because he's sovereign and Lord and he can do what he wants and he chooses to pour out his generosity on his people. So we're going to take some time to respond now. And firstly, there may be some people watching online or here in the building who are really struggling with this whole thing of comparison. Of looking at other people and wishing, I wish I had their life. I wish I had their gifts. I wish I was more like them. I wish that other people were generous to me like they've been generous to those people. That will completely wear you out. Receive what God says to you today in his word. And what he's given you is enough. He sent his son Jesus for you. And he says, everything I have is yours. If that is you, please do let us know. We'd love to pray for you. Secondly, some of us are living with a sense of entitlement. We know that we're holding on to stuff that we should really be giving back to God. It could be some of the stuff that I've mentioned, money, our jobs, whatever. Today, let's be open-handed before the Lord and say, Lord, all I have is yours. All things come from you and of your own do I give you. I give it all back to you. 
God. And finally, some of us are trapped in this religious mindset of thinking that we have to earn God's love, of thinking that we have to earn his generosity. If you had to earn it, it wouldn't be a gift. God pours it out on you because he chooses to. So can I invite us to stand? If you're at home, you might want to do the same. You may want to put your hands out in front of you. There's nothing special about that. It's just a sign that you're willing and ready to receive all that God is giving to you today through the riches of his word. And if any of those things are you, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, set us free. End comparison. End entitlement. End being trapped in religion and works righteousness. And help us see that you're a sovereign God who is generous to his people. Finally, if you're watching this or you're here today and you've not said yes to Jesus, you've not ever before thought, gosh, there's a God who's sovereign and is Lord of all. And today you've heard that Jesus came to offer you the gift of salvation so that you could be free. If you want to repent, that means turn away from the life you're currently living and start to follow him. Why not pray this prayer with me now? Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to be my saviour. Thank you that he died on a cross, taking what I deserved and poured on me his righteousness, his generosity and his grace, which I don't deserve. I thank you for that. I turn to Jesus and say sorry for all the wrong in my life. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch by emailing us at hello at stthomas.church. And the rest of us, let's continue to respond to what God is doing as Will and Ellie sing over us.